Chapter Four of Little Meg's Children by Hesba Stretton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: Little Meg's Treat to Her Children. Robin's birthday dawned brightly, even into the dark, deep shadows of Angel Court, and Meg was awakened by the baby's two hands beating upon her still drowsy face and trying to lift up her closed eyelids with its tiny fingers. She sprang up with a light heart, for father was coming home today. For the first time since her mother's death she dragged the box from under the bed and with eager hands unlocked the lid. She knew she dare not cross the court, she and the children, arrayed in that festive finery, without her father to take care of them, for she had seen other children stripped of all their new and showy clothes before they could reach the shelter of the larger streets. But Meg was resolved that Robin and Baby Elise should not meet their father in rags. She took out the baby's coat and hood, too small now even for the little head it was to cover, and Robin's blue cap and brown holland pinafore. These things she made up into a bundle, looking longingly at her own red frock, and her bonnet with green ribbons. But Meg shook her head at herself admonishingly. It never would do to risk an appearance in such gorgeous attire. The very utmost she could venture upon was to put some half-worn shoes on her own feet and Robin's, for shoes were not in fashion for the children of Angel Court, and the unusual sound of their tread would attract quite as much attention as little Meg dare risk. She dressed her children and set them on the bed while she put her own rough hair as smooth as she could by a little glass in the lid of the trunk. Her bonnet, which had originally belonged to her mother, had been once of black silk, but it was now brown with years, and the old shawl she pinned over the ragged bodice of her frock was very thin and torn at the edges but meg's heart was full of hope and nothing could drive away the smile from her careworn face this morning with the baby in her arms she carefully descended the ladder having put the door-key into the bag round her neck along with the key of the box and her last half-crown then with stealthy steps she stole along under the houses hushing robin who was inclined to make an unnecessary clatter in his shoes but fortunately the inhabitants of Angel Court were not early risers, and Meg was off in good time. So they reached the outer street safely, without notice or attack. Before going down to the docks, Meg drew Robin into an empty archway, and there exchanged his ragged cap and pinafore for those she had put up into her bundle. Having dressed the baby also, she sat and looked at them both for a minute in mute admiration and delight. There could not be a prettier boy than Robin in all London, she was sure, with his bright black eyes and curly hair that twisted so tightly round her fingers. As for the baby, with her shrewd old womanish face and the sweet smile which spoke a good deal plainer than words, Meg could scarcely keep from kissing her all the time. How pleased and proud father would be! But when she remembered how she should have to tell him that mother was dead and buried and none of them would ever see her again, Meg's eyes were blinded with tears, and hiding her face in the baby's neck she cried. Whether for joy or sorrow she could hardly tell, until Robin broke out into a loud wail of distress and terror, which echoed noisily under the low vault of the archway. Little Meg roused herself at the sound of Robin's cry, and taking his hand in hers, with the baby upon her arm, she loitered about the entrance to the dockyard till a good-tempered-looking burly man came near to them. Meg planted herself bravely in his way and looked up wistfully into his red face. "'Please, sir,' she said, "'could you tell me if Father's ship's come in yet?' "'Father's ship,' repeated the man in a kindly voice. "'Why, what's the name of Father's ship?' 
the ocean king said meg trembling it's in the river my little lass he said but it won't be in dock till night father can't be at home afore to-morrow morning at the soonest thank you kindly sir answered meg her voice faltering with her great joy her task was ended then to-morrow she would give up the key of the box with its secret treasure which she hardly dared to think about and then she could feel like a child once more she did feel almost as gay as robin who was pattering and stamping proudly along in his shoes and in the consciousness that it was his birthday nobody else had such a thing as a birthday so far as he knew certainly none of his acquaintances in angel court not even meg herself for meg's birthday was lost in the depth of the ten years which had passed over her head he scarcely knew what it was for he could neither see it nor touch it but he had it for meg told him so and it made him feel glad and proud it was a bright warm sunny autumn day with enough freshness in the breeze coming off the unseen river to make the air sweet and reviving for meg was skirting about the more open streets without venturing to pass through the closer and dirtier alleys robbie she said after a time when they had come to a halt upon the steps of a dwelling-house robbie i'll give you a treat to-day because it's your birthday we'll not go home till it's dark and i'll take you to see temple gardens what are temple gardens demanded robbie his eyes eager for an answer oh you'll see said meg not quite able to explain herself i went there once ever so many years ago when i was a little girl you'll like em ever so do we know the road asked robin doubtfully i should think so replied meg and if we didn't there's the police what's the police good for if they couldn't tell a person like me the road to temple gardens we'll have such a nice day the children trotted along briskly till they reached the broad thoroughfares and handsome shops of the main streets which traverse london where a constant rush of foot-passengers upon the pavement and conveyances in the roadway hurry to and fro from morning to midnight poor little meg stood for a few minutes aghast and stunned almost fearful of committing herself and her children to the mighty stream but robin pulled her on impatiently he had been once as far as mansion house before the time when their mother's long illness had made them almost prisoners in their lonely attic and meg herself had wandered several times as far as the great church of st paul after the first dread was over she found a trembling anxious enjoyment in the sight of the shops and the well-dressed people in the streets at one of the windows she was arrested by a full-size vision of herself and robin and the baby reflected in a great glass a hundred times larger than the little square in the box lit at home she could not quite keep down a sigh after her own red frock and best bonnet but she comforted herself quickly with the thought that people would look upon her as the nurse of robin and baby sent out to take them a walk they did not make very rapid progress for they stopped to look in at many shop windows especially where there were baby clothes for sale or where there were waxen figures of little boys life-size dressed in the newest fashions with large eyes of glass beads not unlike robin's own black ones the passage of the crossing was also long and perilous meg ran first with the baby and put her down safely on the other side in some corner of a doorway then with a sinking and troubled heart lest any evil person should pick her up and run away with her as a priceless treasure she returned for robin in this way she got over several crossings until they reached the bottom of ludgate hill where she stood shivering and doubting for a long time till she fairly made up her mind to speak to the majestic policeman looking on calmly at the tumult about him 
oh if you please mr police said meg in a plaintive voice i want to get these two little children over to the other side and i don't know how to do it except you'd please to hold baby while i take robbie across the policeman looked down from his great height without bending his stiff neck upon the childish creature who spoke to him and meg's spirit sank with the fear of being ordered back again but he picked up robin under his arm and bidding her keep close behind him he threaded his way through the throng of carriages this was the last danger and now with restored gaiety meg travelled on with her two children by and by they turned from the busy fleet street under a low archway and in a minute they were almost out of the thunder of the street which had almost drowned their voices and found themselves in a place so quiet and so calm with a sort of grave hush in the very air that robin pressed close to meg's side with something of the silent and subdued awe with which he might have entered a church there were houses there and courts but not houses and courts like those from which they had come here and there they came upon a long corridor where the sun shone between the shadows of the pillars supporting the roof and they looked along them with wondering eyes not knowing where they could lead to and too timid to try to find out it was not a deserted place but the number of people passing to and fro were few enough to make it seem almost a solitude to these poor children who had travelled hither from the overcrowded slums of the east end they could hear their own voices when they spoke ring out in such clear echoing tones that meg hushed robin lest some of the grave stern thoughtful gentlemen who passed them should bid them be gone and leave the temple to its usual stillness the houses seemed to them so large and grand that meg who had heard once of the queen and had a dim notion of her as a lady of extraordinary greatness and grandeur whispered to robin confidentially that she thought the queen must live here they came upon a fountain in the centre of a small plot of grass and flowers enclosed within high railings and robin uttered a shrill cry of delight which rang noisily through the quiet court where its waters played in the sunshine but at last they discovered with hearts as eagerly throbbing as those of the explorers of some new country the gardens the real temple gardens the chrysanthemums were in full bloom with their varied tints delicate and rich glowing under the brightness of the noontide sun and robin and meg stood still transfixed and silent too full of an excess of happiness to speak oh meg what is it what is it cried robin at last with outstretched hands as if he would fain gather them all into his arms is it gardens meg is this temple gardens meg could not answer at first but she held robin back from the flowers she did not feel quite at home in this strange sweet sunny place and she peeped in cautiously through the half-open iron gate before entering there were a few other children there with their nursemaids but she felt there was some untold difference between her and them but robin's delight had given him courage and he rushed in tumultuously running along the smooth walks in an ecstasy of joy and meg could do nothing else but follow presently as nobody took any notice of her she gave herself up to the gladness of the hour and toiled up and down under the weight of the baby wherever robin wished to go until he consented to rest a little while upon a seat which faced the river where they could see the boats pass by this was the happiest moment to meg she thought of her father's ship coming up the river bringing him home to her and the children and she had almost lost the recollection of where she was when robin who had been very quiet for some time pulled her by the shawl look meg he whispered 
he pointed to a seat not far from them where sat a lady in a bright silk dress and a velvet bonnet with a long rich feather across it there were two children with her a girl of meg's age and a boy about as big as robin dressed like a little highlander with a kilt of many colours and a silver-mounted pouch and a dirk which he was brandishing about before his mother who looked on laughing fondly and proudly at her boy meg gazed too until she heard robin sob and turning quickly to see him she saw the tears rolling quickly down his sorrowful face nobody laughs at me meg said robin oh yes robbie i laugh at you cried meg and father'll laugh at you when he comes home to-morrow and maybe god laughs at us only we can't see his face i'd like to go home sobbed robbie and meg took her baby under her arm and turned her steps eastward once more as they left temple gardens languid and weary meg saw the friendly man who had spoken kindly to them that morning at the docks passing by in an empty dray and meeting her wistful eyes he pulled up for a minute hello little woman he shouted are you going my way he pointed his whip toward st paul's and meg nodded for her voice could not have reached him through the din hoist them children up here that's a good fellow he said to a man who was standing by idle and in a few seconds they were riding triumphantly along fleet street in such a thrill and flutter of delight as meg's heart had never felt before while robin forgot his sorrows and cheered on the horses with all the power of his shrill voice the dray put them down at about half a mile from angel court while it was still broad daylight and robin was no longer tired meg changed her last half-crown and spent sixpence of it lavishly on the purchase of some meat pies upon which they feasted sumptuously in the shelter of a doorway leading to the back of the house End of chapter four